0: Today, we are going to be geeking out on brain health, cognitive function, preventing the signs of aging, all the things that are relevant to all of us. So, you're going to want to pay attention. I'm very excited because I have quite a few episodes coming up all about how to really optimize brain health in different ways. So, if you just want your brain to be on fire, stay tuned. Before we hop into today's interview, I have a couple reminders. First of all, don't forget to get your Wellness Realness Retreat tickets if you haven't already. There are just a couple spots left. The tickets are almost sold out and I am so excited about it. It's coming up July 26th through July 28th here in beautiful San Diego, California. I'm so pumped about the group of women who have already purchased tickets, so if you want in and you want to meet other like-minded people, it's going to be a weekend you will never forget, the Ultimate Wellness Weekend. We are going to do group Reiki, we're going to go hiking, we're going to do yoga, get acupuncture, vitamin shots, nutrient trips. we're going to have some workshops on health and body image, self-love, nutrition talks, of course. It's going to be an amazing weekend filled with lots of delicious food including catering from some of my favorite places like parakeet cafe and powerhouse pizza we're going to go to peace pies and kelly scott from kelly's clean kitchen will also be cooking us a homemade meal and i am pumped about it and of course you're going to receive some killer swag bags you know i don't skimp on this If you were impressed with the 200th episode giveaway, then you know what's coming. This is your opportunity. Take this opportunity. Come out here. Join us for an amazing weekend, and I promise you, you will not regret it. I want to hang out with you in person, not with a screen in between us. I want to really get to know you guys, and this will be a really transformative experience for your emotional health, physical health, all the things. So, highly recommend you don't want to miss out on this, so if you are interested in learning more, seeing everything that's included in the retreat ticket, slash purchasing your ticket, because you definitely want to, go to bit.ly/wellnessrealness2019. That's bit.ly/wellnessrealness2019, and all information will be there. Make sure you bring your beauty counter, non-toxic sunscreen beautycounter.com slash Christina Rice, wink, wink, but seriously, because it's probably going to be hot, and I'm honestly just saying that because I'm currently overheating in my apartment as I record this, because I'm not really sure how it got so hot, but it is, although the good news is the retreat will not be inside my apartment, so I'm sure it will be the perfect temperature, but we will be hiking, so you want to bring that non-toxic sunscreen because... Regular sunscreen is one of the most toxic products you can use. Anyways, don't forget that if you want more from me and what I'm geeking out over, because half this podcast is really focused on what my guests are into, make sure you check out the membership section of my website. You can go to ChristinaRiceWellness.com. And just click on the membership section. And when you join my membership, you get a free download of my ebook, Paleo Basics, which contains all my favorite everyday paleo recipes for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and some drinks. And you'll also get access to all of my members only blog posts, which includes a weekly blog post about a certain health topic I'm geeking out over or some advice facts that I tend to be giving out to my clients over and over again, health hacks, and so on, as well as a weekly recipe and workout, plus access to the Q&A section where you can ask me anything you want anonymously, and I will just type out the answer, and you can see everybody else's questions and the answers to those. And if you're interested in getting a Reiki session with me, just go to ChristinaRiceWellness.com slash services, and you can book a distance Reiki session or an in-person session if you are in San Diego, right through my services page, and I also explain exactly what Reiki is, how it works. On that page, you can read my blog post about Reiki, but Reiki is honestly my favorite part of my job because everyone who has a session just leaves feeling so amazing, getting some really helpful information. And there's nothing as gratifying as helping someone so immediately. So again, I can do sessions with you no matter where you are in the world. If you're in San Diego, we can do in person. Or if you are in another city, state, we can do a distance session. And again, just go to ChristinaRiceWellness.com slash services. That's where all of my things are on my website. So let's talk about today's incredible guest. Today I am chatting with Julie Wendt. Julie is a clinical nutritionist practicing functional nutrition, which focuses on the root cause approach to the treatment of disease, which you know I'm all about. She has advanced training in cognitive health from the Institute for Functional Medicine and the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Julie is really passionate about working with people and helping others who are concerned about cognitive decline. They want to prevent losing their cognitive abilities later in life, especially if they have a history of Alzheimer's disease in their family like she does. So she's going to share some really helpful information about how to protect your cognitive abilities as you age and the truth about Alzheimer's and whether or not it is preventable slash curable. But whether or not Alzheimer's runs in your family, this information is really critical for everybody to know because all of us are going to get old at some point and there's a lot we can do to protect our cognition and our brain health and she's going to lay it all out for you. I absolutely loved this conversation with Julie. She is so intelligent and so sweet. If you want more from her, you can check her out at brainpowerlife.com and she's also on Instagram at brainpowerlife. So if you are ready to learn everything you need to know to optimize your cognitive health, then just keep on listening because we are about to hop into this interview with Julie Went. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Julie. Let's just start off by you introducing yourself to my audience. Tell them a little bit about you and what you do, all things Julie
1: Went. All right. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. So I am a licensed nutritionist and I practice functional medicine, which most of your audience probably knows. But just in case, it's an approach that looks at um, and really focuses on lifestyle medicine and looking at your lifestyle choices is really the primary driver of health and disease. So it's from that perspective that I practice nutrition, do it in a couple different ways. I work with people. Uh, one-on-one at the GW Center for Integrative Medicine, which is super fun. And I also have a private practice. And my newest endeavor is this um, group of online courses that I developed to talk about a topic of particular interest to me, which is brain health, Alzheimer's prevention, and all that good stuff. So um, trying to reach people in a new way and hopefully a more cost affordable way cuz that's one of the hang ups with functional medicine it can be super expensive
0: yeah so tell me more about what got you into brain health specifically
1: yeah so it kind of it started really as a personal story with my grandfather who was super sweet and he developed alzheimers and actually lived for a long time with it because my grandmother was very Um, attentive and, you know, kept him going. But it was about an eight year process of watching him really slowly decline um, with his mental capacity. And it was pretty scary, because he went from this guy that was super sweet, always calling me sugar and just lovable to, you know, some of the phases of Alzheimer's disease can be kind of scary. And some people get aggressive and um, their personality totally changes. So that I was younger when that happened, but it left a really big imprint on me, and at that time, it was really just understood that it happens, hope for the best, there's nothing you can do about it. And by the way, if you have a family member that has it, you're more likely to get it. And so I kind of took that as, okay, well, I guess I'll hope for the best, and kind of carried this fear around as I got older. Um, about cognitive health. And interestingly, through another path, I ended up becoming a functional nutritionist. And I started practicing. And the doctor that um, I partner with, Dr. Kogan, is a geriatrician. And so his patients are often older. They're, they're um, dealing with this type of diagnoses more so. And we started doing um, work with them from a functional perspective, noticing that functional medicine really was a great way to optimize health for them as well as anyone else. And then Dr. Bredesen came out with a book based on his research called um, The End of Alzheimer's, um, the first program to prevent and reverse Alzheimer's disease, which is a pretty radical claim, but very exciting. Um, So we went and retrained with him and really started working at the clinic uh, one-on-one with patients um, with mild cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's disease diagnoses to try to help shift the progress of the disease. So that's very rewarding work. It's very intense. Um, What I started to notice was that all of this work would be so much more um, effective if we were looking at it from a preventative side. And, you know, as you're working with these folks that have um, cognitive decline, you're often working with the caregivers, you're working with spouses, daughters, sons. And that's where I was like, okay, this naturally starts coming up as a conversation because people are like, we know this runs in the family, what can we do right now to, to do um, what we can to prevent this from happening to us? Because once you see it up close, it's very, very scary. Yeah. So it's been really fun to kind of shift out of that place of fear, which is like not a good place to be in, into this more place of, okay, there are some things we can control. There's some things that I can actively do in my life to change the trajectory of where I'm at and that made me feel super helpful and from that you know training that I also have as a nutritionist I'm very excited to work with other people to help them shift from that mindset into okay this is motivating this is super motivating because now I have to really get serious about self-care which is super hard Because there's all these competing things that are, you know, um, really making it hard to take care of ourselves in the way that prevents these types of chronic diseases.
0: Yeah. So when you're talking about prevention, how early are we talking? Like, when do you think people need to start paying attention to this?
1: (laughs) Well, according to Bredesen, the, the... Disease process really begins 10 to 20 years before, like, the beginning of symptoms start. So, there are some people who will actually get early onset Alzheimer's, which happens like in their 50s, which is frightening. So, that could mean in your 30s. Um, For most other people, um, definitely early 40s. That's when the processes that are going to drive dementia and Alzheimer's disease start happening. Mm -hmm. And it takes a little while for you to actually start feeling the direct symptoms and a lot of times people will like they kind of want to deny that cognitive impairment is happening so they'll kind of explain it away like oh it's normal or oh I'm just stressed out and so then they kind of they can often delay addressing it even more years and years more and that's definitely a key takeaway from our work is that the sooner you get on the prevention and or trying to reverse something that's already there, um, much more likely chances of success with it. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone from is, you know, fair game from 30 on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I just, so I want to be clear, going back to
0: something you said, it's like I think a lot of us grow up thinking like Alzheimer's is something like you either get it or you don't. And like it's like you don't have control over it. But yeah, you're saying that we do have more control over it than
1: that. It's not just chance. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've got tons of research to support it. And there's, you know, it's so interesting. It's not the things that you need to do are not that different from what we think of when we think of, okay, I'm going to eat healthy, or I'm going to exercise, or I'm going to make sure I sleep. It's not any like revolutionary stuff there. It's just the fact that you need to actually do it. You need to take it seriously. You need to prioritize it, you know. Um, And if you do, your chances of developing this disease are much, much less. Okay. Even if, okay, even if we all, well, maybe not all of us, like the most popular um, genetic SNP Mm -hmm. that's associated that we would think of, oh, you have a family predisposition is called the APOE4 gene. And even if you have two copies of that, there's a 50%. I mean, you do have a higher risk of developing it, but there's still a 50% chance that you won't develop Alzheimer's disease. Even with some pretty strong genetic predisposition there's a big element that's beyond what our genes say. And that's that whole realm of lifestyle,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So let's start talking about some of
0: the things that people should be focusing on. Um, Great. Let's start with diet. Yeah. <laughs> so right. what do you recommend for, let's, like we're coming at it from the perspective of preventing cognitive decline, optimizing brain health. What are your recommendations? Yes.
1: So the biggest thing to focus on something, if you were going to call it a particular diet, it would be an anti-inflammatory or Mediterranean, but more of like a whole foods based Mediterranean eight to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day, a really great, um, sources of clean protein, clean veggies as much as you can. Like if you have to choose go with, You know, eating a lot of veggies, but if you can, buy, you know, some of them organic, looking at the environmental working groups, um, dirty dozen to try to prioritize. Um, because a lot of the disease is driven by toxicity. I'd say in almost every active case that we have, it's either a heavy metal toxicity or other types of biotoxins with, um, between mold, pesticides, things that you're getting through the water. Um, all, all this stuff that we're exposed to. So a buildup of toxins. So any chance you have in your diet and in your life in general to reduce exposure to toxins is going to make a huge difference.
0: Have there been like direct studies with, um, glyphosate and Alzheimer's?
1: I haven't seen any direct studies. Um, I know that indirectly the impact that that has on your gut microbiome Mm -hmm. has um, an impact on your brain health, right? Because we know that that's all connected. And um, nine out of 10 people that we worked up with with active disease have disruption in their gut. So gut health, totally foundational. And that's another area where, you know, if you can avoid consuming things that are going to kill your (laughs) bacteria that's supposed to be helping you. Um, you're going to be in better shape. Can you explain just like very clearly
0: for listeners why the gut and the brain are so connected, like how they're connected?
1: Yeah, they are connected directly by uh, a nerve and it's, there's a whole nervous system called the enteric nervous system that connects the gut to the brain. And all sorts of communication happens between the two. So the production of neurotransmitters, such as serotonin, 80% of that is occurring in the gut. So there's that kind of direct impact. There's also the integrity of the gut is linked to brain health through inflammation leading to activation of your immune system, food sensitivities, that kind of thing, Uh, malnutrition, right? So if your gut is inflamed, you're not absorbing, even if you're eating like a fantastic diet, you're not going to absorb that if your gut's a mess. So there's some direct relationship and then there's some, you know, a couple of steps down uh, because the brain is um, so metabolically active, it's going to suffer if you're not getting what you need through the absorption process.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you. I think people just need to very clearly understand. <laughs> um, okay, so we're focusing on organic, lots of vegetables, clean proteins. Um, what else? What about fats?
1: Yes, fats. Absolutely. We want those part of every time you eat, having some healthy fat in the form of nuts and seeds, Um eggs, avocados, you know, olive oils, those kinds of things. I would say, um, avoiding processed veggie oils, you know, so the oxidized fats that come in the form of those nice packaged foods. (laughs) Um, we want to avoid that kind of thing and really focus on, um, healthy animal fats, eggs, uh, fish, Those kinds of things. Each time you eat to really, you know, your brain is mostly fat, about 60%. And your nervous system requires all of that healthy fat to really work optimally.
0: Mm -hmm. What about, let's talk about sugar um, and like how sugar affects brain health.
1: Yeah. So one of the, um, so Bredesen talks about three different types of Alzheimer's disease. He talks about um, inflammatory He talks about glycotoxic, and he talks about toxic. So I've already kind of mentioned toxic. Um, Inflammatory is like the cardiovascular disease type, high blood pressure, metabolic syndrome. And then we have the glycotoxic. So that's the sugar dysregulation. So the toxicity around how your body processes sugars happens with overexposure, right? Right. So when we're eating consistently refined sugars, refined carbohydrates, they're coming into the body and they're going to spike our blood glucose, which then requires a response from insulin to bring the blood glucose down and get glucose into your cells. The insulin is a very inflammatory molecule. So every time insulin surges – We're sending this whole cascade of inflammatory messengers throughout the body because having blood glucose that's too high or too low is seen as a very um, important event, kind of like an alarm for your body because we want to kind of keep it at an average level. So, constant exposure to the refined sugars, spiking blood sugar, then insulin over a prolonged period of time is going to actually cause. What we know as type 2 diabetes, it's called insulin resistance. So eventually this happens and your cells stop responding to the insulin because it's just too much, too high, too often. When that happens, we think about that for diabetes in our body, it also happens in our brain. So even though you've got high amounts of glucose in your bloodstream, your cells can't get access to it and so they're actually – not, they don't have fuel to work. So there's a big piece. And this is kind of where the ketogenic diet comes in as one of the most popular ways to address um, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, because the ketogenic diet is kind of working around that insulin resistance and supplying ketone bodies for the cell to use as fuel rather than the glucose. So the and again, this is why it takes a little bit for the symptoms to appear because you have to go through a couple of stages of dysfunction in order to get to the point where your brain is so starved for energy that you start forgetting where your keys are or where you parked or you know what you went downstairs for. Um, it takes decades of that type of behavior, but once it becomes entrenched, it's uh, much harder to reverse. So every effort to reduce sugar intake is a direct effort to prevent Alzheimer's disease, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. So, so you're saying that that type of Alzheimer's glycotoxic is that what you said? Glycotoxic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That that is harder to reverse
1: and prevent than the other types. It's equally hard. Okay. okay. And that is part of why when you start having symptoms, the sooner you can get it corrected, mm-hmm. the better. But if you think about somebody who has cognitive decline for a couple of years and takes a while to get to see us, the damage that they've done to those brain cells um, is hard to recover from, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the toxicity actually if you can get it like we have a lot of mercury toxicity that comes through and we can you can see some really fast results if you can get the mercury to come down and you know the body will recover probably the quickest from that kind of toxicity which is interesting.
0: Yeah, it's interesting cuz it almost makes I mean, it's not a symptom. Like it's like alzheimer's as a symptom of these underlying stealth infections so Mm. it kind of you know what i mean i think like most people talk about you know diet and lifestyle changes um to prevent alzheimer's but i feel like not that many people talk about like the other underlying issues like heavy metals mold whatever as also being a root cause which is super interesting to me
1: yeah well and it's part of why it's nice to um Well, it's part of why I think functional medicine is a good fit Mm -hmm. because whenever anybody comes in, we're screening for all those things because they are so common that, um, you know, we find them in people who have gone to the doctors and don't feel well, but that they do all the tests and everything comes back normal because the doctors aren't looking for toxicities, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, they'll test you for Lyme if the Lyme the acute Lyme um, titers are normal, then they say you don't have it, but they haven't looked into this whole universe of (laughs) chronic Lyme and the co-infections and all of those things, those biotoxins create this really inflammatory environment in your body. And brain fog is one of the primary symptoms of chronic Lyme disease, you know, Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize how common those toxicities are.
1: It's it's really scary. If you could, you know, in our clinic, the amount of toxicity, different sources, right? We consider the biotoxins and the metals, and you know, all the junk you're getting from unfiltered water and air. They, they come from a lot of different places, but some people can keep up with it, right? You can have two people living in the same house. You can have mold in the walls. One person is totally fine functioning and another person can't get out of bed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so that's where understanding what your personal situation is. Like, how do you detox? Like, you know, a lot of this goes back to some of your genetic predispositions. And if your detox pathway isn't working because there's a bunch of SNPs that are causing that to, you know, build up, then you need different type of support. So what what genes would somebody be looking at um, to figure
0: out if their detox pathways are a little clogged up? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you want to look at the genetic SNPs. Like if you did a 23andMe or something like that, um, getting that raw data and putting it into an interpretation software will help you understand which SNPs are related to which pathways. Mm -hmm. Um, The sulfur pathway is really important. Um, There's a SNP called CBS, which is an enzyme that allows you to take sulfur from your foods. All of our really healthy foods like um, eggs and cruciferous vegetables and things like that, they all have high sulfur And they take that sulfur, and your liver uses it to detox. So if you have this CBS SNP, your liver does not get that sulfur. Instead, it builds up as ammonia in your body, and you feel really crummy. So you're building up toxins, and you're producing ammonia, which is highly toxic. And it can be a really, really big problem. So that's one of the common ones that we'll look for. Um, There's some SNPs with converting from phase 1 to phase 2. Um detox in the the liver, and if that's not smooth, you know you'll get a buildup of that those intermediate toxins which are super super toxic so um getting a really good look at your genetics is important if you're not feeling great or if you want to like understand from a preventative standpoint it can't you know you have to be a certain type of person, but my recommendation is um sort of. Face this stuff head on, know what you need to know, and use it to inspire you, especially when you're younger and you might be like not feeling the effects. Like, oh, I can get four hours of sleep and have some bulletproof coffee in the morning and I am good to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, if you know you have two copies of the ApoE4 genetic SNP and you're at a higher risk and you know how important sleep is for brain health, it might help you change those patterns when you're a lot younger that will ultimately protect you in the future. Yeah, I wanna
0: go back to the CBS mutation for a second. I'm curious what your approach is typically with people who have that.
1: So one thing that's important to note when you're talking about genetic SNPs is to make sure that you um, use them in conjunction with some other types of biomarkers that tell you how that gene is actually functioning. So we use organic acid testing to see what the urine metabolites are so that we can see, okay, this person may have, um, one variant copy of CBS. However, because of the other SNPs involved, they don't, they're not, um, passing a bunch of sulfur in their urine. So they're keeping up with that, even though they have the SNP. However, on the other hand, you might have somebody who has one copy of the SNP and they have really high urine sulfate levels. And you know that the sulfate is not actually being used in the liver for detox, that it's being spilled out and that you need to sp- to support the reduction of ammonia in their system and provide some support for them ongoing, kind of. Because with genetic SNPs, it's kind of like once they're activated, a lot of times you need to support them going forward. Like it's not like take care of it and then you're good to go. Mm -hmm. So um, supporting would mean we use things like yucca, charcoal, um, at the beginning a low sulfur diet to just help like reduce the load, Um, gut repair, kind of try to get everything working a little bit better. And then, you know, ongoing, keep track of it. And usually ongoing, there is there is yucca with, with your meals so that you can help support that um, uptake of sulfur into the liver. And some charcoal, if, if you start to feel crummy, you can use that to really mop up the extra ammonia that can easily build up.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you might just find it interesting. Like, so personally, I just had really – chronic health issues for a while and re- chronic gut issues and did all the testing like for years and it took like quite a while um to figure out that you know i had heavy metals toxicity and mold toxicity and then mm-hmm. still wasn't um able to get rid of that and then found out about my cbs mutation and i was in, I had ammonia toxicity um i was dumping out all the sulfur and then i did finally did a whole like protocol to address that And then was able to finally get rid of my gut issues and now I'm actually detoxing from the toxicities. But so I was just super curious because I kind of did, I mean, I did basically all that myself, but one other thing that helped me, like, in addition to those is molybdenum a lot. Um, Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Molybdenum. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because that's what's gonna, that's one of the cofactors to support the CBS gene um, enzyme there. Yep totally so we have a whole yeah uh cocktail that we'll do in the beginning and then that would be something that you would keep track of and make sure you get you're getting enough of
0: yeah i just think it's interesting because i never i never have anyone on here who like even knows or talks about cbs and i'm like oh (laughs) that's been my
1: life for the last year so here we are you you survived it good (laughs) job because that can be really hard to nail down as you know Mm -hmm. um but once you do, it's a game changer.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just a uh- testament to like, it was years of me doing every test, and I've worked with so many functional medicine doctors, and it was like, it took me like three years for anyone to even bring up CBS. You know, like, wow. You know, which is, or and it took two years for anyone to even test me for like metals or mold. Um, wow. Yeah. And And I'm like, you're in California, right? Yeah. And I was in Los Angeles and I was seeing the best of the best and interesting. It is super interesting. And I feel like it hasn't been until more recently that more people are like, you know, becoming aware of it. But I'm like, this is why it's so it's so hard. Because even if you're someone like me, who I'm like, actively trying to get answers, like, sometimes you're just not given the right test. And like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, like. Uh, before I had even heard of that like where would I would not pull that out of my ass like oh like do I have a CVS mutation like I didn't even know what that was um, right you know so it's just I think I'm excited for people to hear this because I know a lot of people have chronic issues and have just given up but a lot of them don't test for like mold or metals or do genetic testing because their practitioners will say like oh that's like, too far-fetched, like, no one deals with that, you know, like, oh, you don't present like that, but it's just much more common than people think with the toxicities, Mm -hmm. I think.
1: Yes, for sure, and, you know, the world in which we live, we're kind of getting it from all sides, Mm -hmm. right, so if you just happen to not be good at detoxing, you know, it adds up, And and then, like, some of these things are, like, people ask me, well, I was totally fine until this one thing happened, and then like I could not like regain my health. It's just been one thing after another, and I was like, you know, your genetics didn't change, but a lot of times stressors, whether they be like emotional stress or um, an illness, a virus, food poisoning abroad, there's a stressor that really turns on some of these genetic SNPs and makes them active in a not good way, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, so that you'll have somebody who starts, you know, having serious symptoms of this in their late thirties or forties. And they're like, but I was totally fine my whole life. And it's hard to understand. Like why all of a sudden does this show up?
0: A hundred percent. And also I know for me, at least it was very hard for people to take me seriously because symptoms were like, honestly, when people ask me how I knew something was wrong, I'm like, I just felt sick like, I was tired, and I had brain Mm -hmm. fog, and I felt, I just felt sick, and, like, besides the gut issues, but really, when you tell people that, like, oh, well, you're just, you need to sleep more, you know, I'm like, okay, well, that's one level, okay, but there's (laughs) obviously something else going on, and so I was glad to finally get my test results back, and I was like, yeah, I told you, I told you, (laughs) I'm not making it up, Um, yeah, but a lot of people have gotten used to this chronic state of, like, Totally. Fatigue and brain fog, and they think that's normal. And they're like, I feel fine. Right. So but it's not normal. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I know. And I just I just wrote a blog post about um common versus normal. (laughs) You know, like I don't want to be like a language police, but I I I think we have gotten used to a lot of things in our health that are not normal. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like we're using caffeine to wake us up and, you know, sleeping pills to go to sleep at night and like our rhythms are all off and everyone else is taking medications for this and that, you know, so it's sort of like, okay, am I just complaining? Am I asking for too much? Like, is it too much to ask to feel energy and feel like, you know, my brain's working well?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're gonna take a quick break from this conversation with Julie to talk about one of the most important things to pay attention to if you want to protect your cognitive function and also overall health, and that is the ingredients in the food you're eating. I know that most of you listening to this podcast are not strangers to the idea that it is incredibly important to eat whole foods, and many of you follow clean whole foods diets, yet, there are some places where Tricky ingredients like to sneak in that can cause gut dysfunction, bloating, headaches, skin irritation, brain fog, and more. And one of those places is actually in nut milks. I think it's pretty common nowadays for most people to have moved over from traditional dairy to nut and or seed milk as a dairy-free replacement. But most people are still buying nut and seed milk from the store, and that's really not the best option. When you make your nut milk at home, you know exactly what's going in it, so you can just put the necessities in it. You can put nuts, seeds, water, salt, any spices you want. You can make your own flavor. You can control your budget because it's much cheaper to make it yourself, and it's faster because you don't have to go to the store. This is why I love almond cow because they make it so easy to make nut and seed milk right in the comfort of your own home. I realized early on that it was much better to make my own nut and seed milk. And then I went the traditional route of, you know, soaking my seeds, um, blending them, putting it through a strainer, squeezing, dealing with all the mess. And it was just a process that I had to think about too much. And then I found almond cow and life changed. Literally all you need to do with this device is take your nuts or seeds, whatever flavor you want, put them in a little basket in the machine, add in filtered water, add in any spices, salts, whatever else you want to flavor it if you want to, lock the top, press a button, and in less than a minute you have a full jug's worth of nut milk. I love that I don't have to prep this ahead of time. I don't have to soak any nuts or seeds. I don't have to deal with a straining bag. It's super easy to clean out. It's so fast and it's honestly much faster than when I used to use a blender. This has honestly changed my life and I know you guys will love it too. Especially because you can get really fun and creative with your nut milk blends. You could make a chai almond milk with almonds, cloves, cardamom, some turmeric. You could... Make walnut milk or cashew milk. I love to add vanilla and sea salt and cinnamon. And you can do any nuts or seeds. You could do pine nuts or pumpkin seeds or pecans. Any nut or seed, the options are endless. You can also use the leftover pulp for a recipe. Reuse it. You can put it in a smoothie or a soup. I highly recommend the nut milk pulp hummus. Quote hummus on my website. This is way better for your budget than buying it at home and you know exactly what's going in it. You can avoid all of the unnecessary filler ingredients in there. There's often guar gum or sunflower lecithin or sugar, carrageenan. The list goes on. There are a lot of things in there that you might not even know what they are. So best to avoid them because these are usually the hidden tricky Causes of bloating, headaches, even weight loss resistance, food quality matters and whole food ingredients really do make a big difference. Plus, you are reducing the amount of plastic used. You can use a glass jar from Almond Cow itself. Single use plastics are a huge issue for the environment. Bottles don't belong in the ocean, they don't belong in landfills. So, switch to a glass jug with Almond Cow and you'll get your nut milk and be helping the environment. So if you're ready to try your Almond Cow device, just go to bit.ly slash almondcowchristina, and you can use my code Christina for $15 off. That's bit.ly slash almondcowchristina, and my code Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, will get you $15 off of your device. And they also sell their glass jugs on the website as well, and that is what I personally store all of my homemade nut milk in. I cannot wait for you guys to get this device. It is a game changer, and I'm not really sure how I survived without it. If you are somebody who uses any type of nut or seed milk regularly, I highly recommend getting one of these, and your life will be a million times easier. And if you do, tag me in a post if you show what you made, because I love to see it, and I also love to come up with new flavors for nut and seed milk. Actually, I want to go make a golden milk version like a golden milk cashew milk that sounds amazing so go get your almond cow let me know how it goes I'm very excited for you guys to try this out all right now that I have told you my little secret about avoiding some of the sneaky ingredients that we don't want in our food at the store let's hop right back into this conversation with Julie Wendt I've had this conversation a lot recently where they go how come it seems like healthy people have more health issues than unhealthy people like you know, my mom, and my dad, they eat like crap, and they say they feel fine. I eat this perfectly clean paleo diet, and I do all these wellnessy things, and I'm having these issues. And I'm like, well, your mom and your dad probably actually do feel like crap. They just think
1: it's normal. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> you know, yeah. people just get used maybe, to it. Yeah. They're, or maybe, yeah, they're on medications that are masking things. You know, it is That I think is really strong in terms of trying to make these lifestyle changes and encourage people that it matters because they're looking at the person sitting next to them and they're like, well, you know, they do a big Starbucks with like a muffin every morning and they seem perfectly fine. Like, why do I have to go to all this extra effort and time and energy and money when, you know, everyone else is eating that way and they're fine? Mm
0: hmm. And I think that's a huge block for people, and also this, like, social block, which is oh, also an emotional yeah. block. Like, brutal. Yeah, they're like, all my friends go out and drink and, like, eat this, we go to dinner and we get this, and, like, and they're like, I can't be social anymore. It turns into, like, a sadness for a lot of people, because they feel like they can't be social.
1: Yeah. Um, how do you, like, help people work through that? <laughs> Yeah, that's a big one. Um, because you know, a lot of my work is as a health coach and really helping people identify stuff like that. So first it's getting them to uh, like acknowledge that part of the reason they haven't made these changes is because they're not accepting who they are, Mm -hmm. right? That's the first thing. Like you have to understand yourself enough to know what you need, what makes you feel good. And if you can come from that place, then you prioritize self-care in a totally different way. Raising awareness around those things is the first step. And then have I just have the conversations, like helping them shine light on this thinking that when they think about it, doesn't make sense. Like, so if you have friends that only like you if you eat cupcakes, does that really mean they're your friends? Or are you, you know, either you're kind of, not not straight on what they want you to be doing and you're making up in your mind that you're only fun to be around if you eat cupcakes or if they really do feel that way and they feel self-conscious if you're not eating certain things or drinking or then maybe finding you know time to spend with other people that are more supportive of what your true health goals are and like how you want to be in the world, that can make a huge difference. like if your friends like to go and go for hikes on the weekend and you know do like tough mutter runs or whatever it is, like that puts you in a completely different social category where you don't have to struggle to feel accepted mm-hmm. and if you have these other circles that are pushing back, I think it's a reflection on where they're at personally and being clear about what you need is really empowering, you know, and you don't have to look down your nose at him, but it's okay to be like, Hey, I'm not eating the cupcake. I'm sure it's delicious. Have fun. Like, you know, just having those conversations is so helpful for people. Yeah. I think yeah. that
0: a big reason why that's so scary is I think more people than when I, when I first started working with people, like thinking about this more, I thought this was less common than it is, but I think most people realize that their friends aren't really real friends. Like, a lot of people are friends with people out of just, like, convenience, and they're in the same yeah. location, and they have similar they have similar friends. You know what I mean? It's like, and mm-hmm. I, a lot of people that I work with, I can tell they're realizing, like, I don't actually have anything in common with these people. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's if really... we only can, like, yeah, if we have such a narrow way of being. <laughs> yeah. And we can't be anything but this one little thing, then that's probably not the best relationship to invest in anyways mm-hmm.
0: and then it's scary yeah. it's scary as an adult when you're like all my friends, like all we bond over is like going out to this dinner drinking at drinking here, like we do the same thing and and then it's really scary to think, well, I don't even know how to find new friends, and this is a conversation I have all the time like well where do I, how do I make friends like <laughs> like you gotta start yeah. doing things. In areas of other healthy people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Do things that you're interested in, like Mm -hmm. sign up for a hiking club or singing lessons or whatever it is, like group activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like if you want to meet, you know, always thinking about like meeting people in a bar. If you don't want that kind of lifestyle, then maybe like looking for partners in that space is not going to be ultimately like, fruitful because you're going to find people that like to go to bars exactly which is fine if you like that but yeah. if you're not you know, if you're looking for like a family person who you know wants to garden then <laughs> just like yeah keeping kind of keeping it simple
0: mm-hmm. well you know kind of re- related to the bar situation what about um I wanted to talk about the effects of alcohol
1: on the brain yeah it's so confusing because a lot of studies are talking about wine in particular and how that can be beneficial. Um, I kind of have, it depends, like if you're in preventative mode, it's a different answer than if you have active disease process. Um, there, there are antioxidants that are great in wine and, There are studies that support that. I would say if you don't drink, like starting to drink because of that is probably a wash. If you're going to drink anyways and you can choose red wine, you like that and not go crazy with it. um, At the end of the day, alcohol is neurotoxic, right? So it's a toxin that your body has to um, eliminate. And if it doesn't do that well, we all know, maybe you don't all know, but alcoholics, are not super sharp, right? It affects their brain severely. Um, and that's an extreme case, but it's just to show that moderation is key. If you're in prevention mode, a little bit of alcohol, that's fine. Um, but getting carried away with it or starting to drink wine, I don't think is, um, necessary. And, I prefer people who are are having cognitive issues to kind of skip it for a bit. Mm -hmm. What about caffeine? Caffeine. That generally, especially if you think about like where we, like a caffeine pill Mm -hmm. versus like you're getting caffeine through coffee or green tea or dark chocolate, uh, especially when you pair it with those types of food and drink. um, There's a lot of benefit to, those things on your overall health and your brain health. Um, Again, there will be some people that metabolize caffeine really slowly and are very sensitive to caffeine. And that, again, relates. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That was me too. Obviously. Um, Right? You know, you get it all. You get all the fun. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so if you're one of those people, then the impact that caffeine has on your anxiety or like your ability to think is going to be totally different. So it depends. There's tons of research about how coffee is good for colon health. And, you know, there's so many antioxidants and all of the green tea and it's great for sleep and calm and all this, which is totally true as long as you metabolize it well and don't have certain genetic predispositions towards anxiety or, um, feelings of overwhelm and nervousness if you're that type of person caffeine will make that all worse
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and in part because it's it's driving stress hormones that are going to be bad for your brain ultimately because we none of us think well if we're all like nervous and shaky and you know ungrounded yeah so again you know that one kind of depends
0: I think also with caffeine like most people ask that and they're most, most people are drinking coffee, but I'm like, but if your coffee's not organic, you're just shooting yourself in the foot too. Yeah. You know, like I yeah. feel fine. And I'm like, but like, that's one of the most important things to have organic because that's something that people drink every single day and, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're running back into the issue of like root cause as, um, a, a toxicity, you know? So yeah. I think that's I know. important yeah. for people to, to
1: realize. <laughs> it is. It I, is. And I think that um, over-reliance on caffeine can um, create an imbalance in your HPA access, right, that leads to things like chronic fatigue or wired and tired. Like, it kind of makes you disassociate from what your body actually needs because you're pushing it. If you're overusing it instead of being like, Oh, I'm tired. I need to get more sleep. I should go to bed earlier. You're like, Oh, I'm not tired. I just had five cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I
0: also, I saw something you were talking about that I really liked and I wanted you to touch on. It was just like the fact that stress is like an overused term and yeah. people don't really take it seriously. <laughs> I know. I find We need a new word for it. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's why it's like when people be like, I I tell people if you're stressed out, don't do X, Y, or Z. But like, if you say that as an excuse to someone, they'll be like, so everyone's stressed out. I'm like, no, yeah. but I'm really stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah. It's, no. And it's almost, it's almost a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have a teenager and that's part of like, the thing is like this, oh, I'm so stressed out. Because if you're not stressed out, then you're not like living it up enough. You know what I mean? You're not like, working this hard weird, enough. Exactly. There's this weird expectation like people that aren't stressed aren't really living. Like, And I think it's a big cultural shift that needs to happen to understand that when you're feeling stressed, there are chemical processes happening in your body that create inflammation that lead to pretty much every chronic disease we have. And it's not to be used lightly, you know, Oh, you're just stressed out. Mm -hmm. No, you're just stressed out. Let's figure why. And let's make some serious changes because you can't, if you're stressed and you're eating well, and maybe you're exercising, you're not going to be able to move the needle on your health because your entire body is operating in a state of fight and flight. And that isn't a state where you're going to repair anything. That's not a state where you're supposed to even be digesting. Like people don't understand everything about your digestive system shuts down when you are stressed out because you're not supposed to be eating when you're stressed. You're supposed to be running from the tiger. Right. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. I,
0: I think it goes back to what we were saying before about like what's normal versus what's common. And you know, when I explain people to people, the connection between stress and their health issues and they say, well, how do I know? Like, if it's just normal stress or like the amount of stress that's actually harming my health. Like they're like, I think it's just normal stress. And I'm like, no, this is the issue because just because everyone is stressed.
1: Doesn't mean like that's okay. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to boundaries. Like no one is going to roll out the red carpet and say, okay, let's make sure you're getting enough sleep and you're exercising and you have time to feed yourself well. Right you have to get your elbows out and really like stand your ground, especially if you happen to work for somebody else, or if you have family that, you know, have all their their own needs going on, like getting clear on what you need for self care and defending that is super important. And Mm -hmm. I think people when they get kind of bulldozed by life, that's when the stress is there. They haven't slept enough because they told somebody they'd have some presentation done, you know, instead of like knowing what their schedule is and knowing that they can really only do that on Friday rather than Wednesday, that can be the game changer. But if you're not clued in and you don't have boundaries, like, yeah, I'm going to bed at 10, then you just bulldoze every self-care item and end up sleep deprived and jacked up on caffeine and, you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, very true. Well, since you brought up sleep, yeah. you're a good person to ask. How many hours of sleep
1: should people be getting? <laughs> I don't have any, like, amazingly new answer for that. I'm going to go with around eight. Okay. Um, yeah. i I can say, as a nutritionist, you have to know that I totally love food, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that is so exciting to me. I love it. Beautiful. So much possibility there. I have to say, I think sleep has a bigger impact on your capacity for health than food. Wow. It's crazy. Sleep is so important. Tell me more about why you think that. Yeah. Um, I think that it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of mystery. Like what happens when we sleep? Like (laughs) we don't know exactly. (laughs) We just know that. When we do studies and we um, deprive people of sleep even just one night, everything else being the same, they were not insulin resistant before, but the next day they are insulin resistant. Their insulin does not work. It's, it's fascinating. So every marker that we have gets worse with sleep deprivation and it can impact your gut. It's going to impact your nervous system. It's going to have an impact on your metabolism, right? So instead of your insulin working, it's not. So your glucose is going to be higher. We know what happens when that's consistently elevated, all that inflammation that occurs. What, and part of what's really cool about Dr. Bredesen's protocol that highlighted um, is this idea of, um, intermittent fasting and taking a break from, um, eating and resting and this whole process of allowing your body to repair and restore. And part of that, a big part of that is going to happen when you're sleeping. And a lot of what shows up, you know, we think of amyloid plaque in terms of Alzheimer's disease Um, it's, that is kind of a normal part of our brain and what happens, what can happen is if we're not, we're building it up and breaking it down at the same time. And if that's not in balance, we get a buildup that then, um, goes along with what we think of as cognitive decline, the enzyme that we use in order to break down insulin. So when insulin is high, we have this insulin degrading enzyme. If insulin is low and we don't need to break it down, this enzyme will go into your brain and break down amyloid
2: plaque.
1: So the relationships are very complex. So you look at sleep. You have sleep. You don't get enough of it. You become insulin resistant. Your insulin stays high throughout the next day rather than being at a normal level. So, you know, you're not breaking down as much amyloid plaque as you would have if you'd gotten enough sleep. And when that happens and accumulates over years and years, your balance, your ability to keep up with the amyloid plaque and break it down, is now way out of way out of whack, and that's and then you start to experience some of those cognitive decline symptoms. So it's kind of it's a lot of mystery around it still, but it's just super clear. People that have say um, sleep apnea and, and don't get diagnosed. Huge risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. Interesting. You know, and those are people that think they're getting sleep, but they're not because they're waking up all the time to breathe. Um, So quality of sleep, quantity of sleep. If you wake up and you feel tired, you haven't gotten enough sleep, barring something else happening like toxins, right? Um, Or if you crash out at three, four in the afternoon, you haven't gotten enough sleep and you need to rearrange your life and get enough sleep yeah, yeah. True.
0: It's I see a lot of people though who are riding like the edge so it's like they're not getting eight hours of sleep but they're getting like six and a half seven seven and a half and like that's their norm and I'm like I'm curious what your opinion is on that because I see a lot of people I'm like I honestly think like you just still might be sleep deprived like if you're doing everything yeah. else right if you're doing everything else right and you're getting seven hours of sleep a night, and you still feel tired all the time, I'm like, and they'll say, but I'm getting seven. It's not like I'm getting four or five hours. I'm like, but it's, I think it still might be not be enough. But I'm just curious what your opinion is on that when people are kind of writing that line.
1: Yeah, absolutely agreed. And I don't know if you experience this, but my magic number is seven and a half. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: If I get seven and a half, I'm good to go. If I get less than that, literally, if I get seven hours, I am like crashing at three o'clock in the afternoon, like crashing hard. Yeah. It makes a huge difference and everybody's got to figure it out. Like you got to tune in. If you're still tired, the other thing I guess I would look at is water. Cause a lot of people don't drink enough water and water is really important with the energy cycle. But assuming you're doing everything else, right. You got your water and you're not, and you're not sleeping eight. I'd start with eight, you know, mm-hmm. some people need nine hours true especially if they're healing from like mold or whatever right
0: Um, yeah yeah we need sleep i i do want to touch more on um the ketogenic diet and like carbohydrate intake for a second Mm -hmm. because i think a lot of people you know we're like learning more about how the ketogenic diet can be really helpful um for people who have issues with their cognition and or like neurological diseases and now it's turned into like keto is very trendy and a lot of people are afraid of carbohydrates in general um so Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think about in terms of prevention not if you've already been diagnosed you're struggling um with your brain health like in terms of prevention what your opinion is on like, do people need to be worried about their carbohydrate intake if they're following a paleo or Mediterranean diet?
1: No. Preventatively, huge amounts of research around Mediterranean Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and the effect that that has on brain health. So the downside of the ketogenic diet is that it's going to tend to be a lower fiber diet and a lower fiber diet is going to lead to a lower diversity in your gut microbiome. And we all already talked about what happens when your gut microbiome is not in its best shape, right? Mm-hmm. Direct impact. So I do have some people who are like inactive disease and the ketogenic diet helps them with their cognition. And they're like, I'm going to go for the lesser evil and just say, I don't. As long as I can think, I don't care what my gut looks like. But that's a whole different situation, you know. So if you're in prevention mode, the best thing you can do is have a really nice fiber-rich diet with lots of variety, tons of veggies and fruits that are colorful. And that is time-tested, solid research. People that are doing, like, the ketogenic, if I have them doing it as um, earlier – it's because they have insulin resistance or they, they're overweight and they need to drop weight. So there might be reasons why we do it for a short term. Mm-hmm. But my ultimate goal is to get them on um, a more diverse diet that has a lot of fiber and phytonutrients. And it's just so much harder to get that on ketogenic.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? I'm yeah. So I use that it up.
1: sparingly. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm, there's no reason to avoid these foods unless you have a therapeutic like target for it, you know?
0: Yeah. So let's talk for a second about what people can do if they are diagnosed like once you get an Alzheimer's diagnosis, like what
1: would you do to help reverse it? There are okay. So somebody comes in and they have that diagnosis. We get the history. So we try to tease out okay, were they were they working in a lab where they were exposed to a bunch of chemicals? Were they uh, taking care of lawns or you know were they in international business travel and so their gut is probably <laughs> full of all sorts of you know parasites and uh, and things they got exposed to. So we take that history. We do a lot of testing. So we kind of cast a net. We look at um, their basic, we use the NutraVal from Genova that has um, vitamin and mineral um, analysis. It's got fatty acids. It's got a, a kind of a toxicity screen. Like it's not the end of the toxicities, but if it'll pick some stuff up like heavy metals and it looks at your antioxidants. So if your glutathione is really low, it kind of tells us where to start looking, right? So if somebody's eating a fantastic diet, they come in and they have high need for all their B vitamins and their minerals. We know that something's awry between the digestion and the absorption, right? Um, we do. We do look at their diet. We want to want to know how what their movement looks like, um, stress, sleep social connections. So we're, we're doing like, um, a really nice functional intake that gives us a lot of things to rule out and a lot of things to start looking at. Um, so that leads us down a path of gut health, toxicities, um, stress management. There's a lot of people who will come after working in a really stressful environment that's when their cognition, um, really started to go downhill after years and years of being, you know, in fight and flight 24 seven, not sleeping, not eating well, and their body just gets to be enough. Right. So everybody will come in and we'll kind of start focusing on the primary drivers Mm -hmm. as we see through the test results. Um, and implementing this lifestyle program, In addition, the nice thing about working with, like, an integrative doctor, like Dr. Kogan, is that he will use medications if needed, Mm -hmm. right? So if you need an antifungal as part of an anti-candida cleaning up of the gut, like, you still have access to that. Or some people come in and they'll be on Aricept, right, which is one of the most common drugs to help prevent symptoms of alzheimer's it doesn't change anything about the overall uh, disease progression um it works for some people and of course it has side effects but like they would probably stay on that um like we wouldn't be like oh you have to go off all medications so that's the nice part about integrative functional medicine it's the best of all these uh, approaches and uh trying to find first order of business is you know These, this idea of 36 holes in the roof, right? So we have to get to a critical mass of bringing the body into balance. And we look at that through a lot of markers that we see in the blood. So, like homocysteine, hemoglobin A1C, like we just want those to be in a certain range because that's where optimal health lies. And so we'll work to bring all that stuff into balance. And when you do that, With all these different aspects that may be out of balance, that's when the body gets to the point where it can snowball into better balance. Okay. Right? So you don't have to fickle in the roof, but you have to fix enough that the body can start its own healing process.
0: And you've seen people with the diagnosis implement all this and it reverses. Yes. Okay, that's. It's I want awesome. people. I want people to hear that because I think so many people <laughs> think like it's like you get that diagnosis and it, you're, it's you can't do anything, you know. I know. Um, so it's new, a new way of looking at it, and also it's like similar to addressing any other type of chronic illness. You know, it's really always like just getting to the root, yeah, of the issue. Um, that's very yeah. encouraging. One other thing I just cuz we didn't touch on it but like in terms of brain health is there an optimal
1: type of exercise for brain health specifically? There's a combination. So you want to get the cardiovascular in about 3-4 times a week. And it doesn't have to be an hour every time. 30 minutes, 3-4 times a week, cardiovascular like get your circulation working really well because as you can imagine that circulation is going to deliver the nutrients. It's going to carry away the toxins. Like that's all good. Um, and then adding, like we think of Tai Chi is one of the best. It's kind of a combination. It's an exercise, but it's also, um, stress management, right? So you're going to you kind of two for if you're going to do Tai Chi and it's got amazing research in terms of brain health. So this combination of, uh, stressing your body in a way to make it stronger there's all sorts of good stuff that happens with beneficial stress. Stress meaning push your body to grow um, more flexible, push your body to um, expand the blood vessels and get better circulation, build muscle, all of that. And when you can do that, in addition to managing stress, so exercise in general is going to help with stress reduction. Um, certain types like Tai Chi is going to actively calm the nervous system so a combination say somebody is a runner and they like to run that's great but running all the time can be taxing on your nervous system because it's in that push mode right Mm -hmm. so balancing that out with some yoga classes or tai chi where you're exercising but your nervous system is more relaxed and you're kind of toning at in a different way So yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, those are great to have a couple of times a week. Um, And then, of course, strength training, especially as we get older. I think it's starting at like 30 years old. Like your body just wants to decrease muscle mass. And so that accumulatively gets more and more as you get older. So laying the foundation of really good uh, muscle mass will help prevent some of the things we think about with age, such as frailty and osteoporosis and things like that. So exercise, most important thing is to do it like, you know, good, better, best, like do something Mm -hmm. every day, pretty much. I'm cool with taking one day off, but even still like moving around is, is great. Um, and then, thinking about the variety, so something that builds endurance, something that builds muscle, and this idea of um a something that's restorative to the nervous system is like the ideal
0: okay, I like that yeah. a mix, okay, I have one final question for you. um I think most people listening to this are like in the prevention stage of life, yeah, um, and there's a lot of like cool, trendy things that. Are popular that are like promoted as improving your brain function um everything from like you know certain adaptogens or like lion's mm-hmm. mane or like supplements like ginkgo yeah. and um yeah. nootropics and all these things and I'm curious if you have any favorite like extra things people can use um like fun things to add in that support brain function besides just the typical like healthy
1: diet that we already went over yeah yeah yeah. So love the um adaptogens and the mushrooms that you mentioned, so lion's mane. Um, those are great add-ins. I think you just have to be careful because like we will have people come in with literally a sack full of supplements, and I'm like, that's probably too many.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, pick and choose. Um, there's I think one of the most important things is this idea of balancing inflammation. Right. So thinking about your omega-3 status, making sure you're getting fatty fish through the week. If you're not, making sure that you're taking some um, omega-3s, preferably in the form of fish oil, because that's the form that our body can use it in. Um, Algae is also an option if um, fish isn't possible. And supplement, I would say... Probably most people need a good methylated uh, B vitamin, right? So it's in the active form. Taking vitamins from CVS or Costco is a little scary. Yeah. So get a high-quality, professional-grade B vitamin because at its root, your brain is driven by the amount of energy that it can produce inside the cell. And what you need for that is B vitamins, right? So you need to run your energy cycle. And if you have some either diet that's not great, or maybe you have a higher need, right? Maybe you got some inflammation going on, so you need more. Covering your bases with a really good B vitamin um, makes good sense, because that can make sure that you have enough B12, like these things that are sort of foundational to any type of brain health. So I would do that. I love, um, I'm a big fan of probiotics, either in the form of a pill or the food. I like the food better, of course. But, you know, um, thinking about ways to monitor and promote gut health. Um, Sometimes greens powders can be helpful because it gives you um, a boost of antioxidants and things that will support the gut as well. So I try, I don't get too, like treatment mode yeah we go full on with the ginkgo and the um resveratrol and the coq10 and you know there's like an endless supply of those types mm-hmm. of supplements and i would say this recode protocol that we implement supplements is a huge deal okay like you you know but prevention wise managing inflammation making sure you're getting those basic vitamins and minerals and um tending to gut health those are my three favorite things i like the mushrooms because they're tasty they regulate your immune system um they're this really nice functional food Mm -hmm. that we usually don't get enough of and now you can have them like i love the um sigmatic teas right those are and coffees those are so easy to do um for somatic I think it is
2: yeah
1: and um, yeah so it's not that hard to get lion's mane or Chaga or something like that yeah it can kind of be fun um, the other supplement that a lot of people ask about is the MCT oil and that's really associated with brain health um, We do use it in a big way for most of our recode patients that we're trying to get into ketosis um, if you have fat digestion issues, That can be really nice to use MCT oil because it doesn't need bile or lipase to break it down. It's in a short form. And that sometimes is how you're going to get your fat-soluble vitamins um, absorbed, so A, D, E, and K. Um, So if you think you have problems digesting fats or if you don't have your gallbladder, I would add in either coconut oil or MCT oil on a regular basis just to make sure you can get those vitamins absorbed.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you. think people are going to be excited to hear they don't need like 3 million supplements to prevent <laughs> to prevent things because that's what's happened. Everyone's supplement happy right now. And I'm like, can we slow our roll,
1: please? <laughs> yes, I am 100% on board with you. Yeah. Because it sends, it sends the message of this culture that I'm going to take a magic pill and it's going to save me from the hard work of doing the lifestyle stuff that is actually going to move the needle, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Get your sleep, move around, eat well, like go out and have fun with friends and um, you won't need a ton of supplements.
0: Yes, amen to that. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing all of your knowledge. Um, I know people are going to get a lot from this. So can you just tell everyone... Where they can find more from you and learn more about you and your work.
1: Yes, thanks for having me. It's been so fun to chat and share this really important work that I'm just so excited to help people understand that there's so much we have control over and we can shift that fear into these really um, important actions. So, about what I'm up to in terms of brain health, you can check me out at brainpowerlife.com I've got an online group format uh, program for sort of the basic um, approach to prevention and I'm also doing a bunch around fasting so I'm running the prolonged fasting mimicking diet doing some fasting around that that's a real game changer for a lot of people that's really fun Um, and that has big impacts on your cognitive health too so check me out over there and, as always, uh, be in touch with any questions. Awesome. Thank you again, Julie. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much. Thank
0: you so much to Julie for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her knowledge about how to optimize your brain. Make sure you check her out on Instagram at BrainPowerLife and also on her website BrainPowerLife.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you show your support by leaving a rating and your review on iTunes so much to me it really helps me spread the word about the show and if you think that friends family members acquaintances would benefit from the information in this podcast make sure you send it to them and if you feel so inclined to share on social media I always love to Fashion scene, see which episodes you guys are loving if you're not already in the facebook group please join it's called wellness realness podcast tribe you can connect with other listeners and meet other like-minded individuals and don't forget to pick up your retreat tickets at bit.ly wellnessrealness wellness realness 2019 it's going to be a blast as usual you can find more from me at christinaricewellness.com and on instagram at christinaricewellness that is all i have for you today i hope you have an amazing rest of your day, an awesome week, and I will chat with you again next episode. Bye!